welcome to Aeon's HR Talks podcast series, where we'll be covering a range of hot topics in company benefits, rewards and well-being. In each episode, we'll be talking to experts in the field to hear their thoughts on key trends and themes and to share actionable insights. I'm your host, Olga Paskins from Aeon, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Today, we will be talking about the challenges that employers and employees face related to mental health. And joining us today to discuss this important topic is Charles Alberts from Aeon and Dr. Nick Taylor from Unmind. Welcome both to the podcast and thank you for joining us today. Please could you introduce yourselves? Absolutely, after you, Charles. So hello, I'm I'm Charles Alberts and I lead the Wellbeing Solutions team in the UK at, at Aeon. We have a very simple mission, which is to improve the health of the UK workforce. Now, mental health is something that I've always been incredibly passionate about for various professional and personal reasons. When Aeon first started its mental health work for our own employees, I was one of the first to put up my hand and was one of the founding members of our mental health group. I later chaired that group for a couple of years, which was incredibly rewarding. Through that role, I also became a trained mental health first aider, so I support our colleagues internally on a day-to-day basis. In my personal time, I've served on two MIND boards, so that's the mental health charity in the UK, and currently serve as a board member of Dorset MIND. I have my own story of developing and recovering from depression and anxiety, and I shared that story on Aeon's This Is Me video, which was a global video that we shared earlier in 2021. I use my own experience of mental health issues to positively influence how workplaces support their people. And I'm really proud that my team have won two awards in the last two years for our work in mental health. And hi, I'm Nick Taylor, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Unmind. And I've spent a lot of time working in the mental health space and have long been interested in it as well. I grew up with a sister with Down syndrome. So from a very young age, I was aware that people could be different and be treated differently by society. And fast forward about 20 or so years, and I was a volunteer with the Samaritans when I did my first degree in classical music. When I graduated, I started working as a frontline support worker for the mental health charity Mind, working with people with severe and enduring mental illness. That inspired me to go back to university, do a degree in psychology, a doctorate in clinical psychology, before going into the National Health Service, where I ended up leading clinical teams in North London and also lecturing in organizations like University College London and the Institute of Psychiatry and Mental Health. So it's a topic I'm deeply passionate about. Five years ago now, I left to co-found Unmind and, and thrilled to be here today to have the conversation. Fantastic. Thank you. Mental health is a really broad topic, but let's start maybe with the most recent kind of impact of the pandemic. So perhaps you've seen in the news some really alarming statistics around the levels of depression, anxiety. So I'd just be really keen to hear your view on what are the main things that are impacting people following the, the pandemic? I think it, it, it's it's so helpful to step back and think about, well, well, what is mental health when thinking about how to answer that question? And mental health is something we all have all of the time. Mental health is something that uh, is made up of multiple parts of our life. So our, at our mind, we talk about a whole person approach to mental health. It's our biological life. It's our sleep, our nutrition, our age, our disease status, et cetera. It's our psychological life, our personality, how we perceive the world, how much risk we perceive there to be. And then also it's our social world. So our workplace, our finances, our home environment, our friends and our family. Now, if you think about all the things I've just spoken about, 
all of those things in one way or another have been impacted or changed as a result of COVID-19 and the, and the pandemic that we've been living through now for for a number of months, you know, it's you know, cl- close to uh, a year and a half, isn't it? Not, not far off. So if you think about human beings have all been under pressure across biological, psychological and social parts of their life, and inevitably what that's resulted in is an increased prevalence of mental illnesses and people even with not reaching clinical levels, but people struggling with their mental health. And that's what you're seeing reported in the press. Um, increased levels of stress, increased levels of burnout, increased levels of anxiety, increased levels of depression, etc. And it's certainly a trend that is an, one that none of us had hoped to see and uh, one that needs urgently addressing. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Charles, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And and I think I'm always reminded that all of us are in this together. We've we've all been impacted, but perhaps differently, depending on our own circumstances. We've also responded uh, differently to the pandemic. And that would depend on, you know, our own personal situations, perhaps our mindset, our levels of resilience and, and various other um, issues. I think particularly changes um, that we've all been through has been quite unsettling to us. The uncertainty in both our life and work life as well that the pandemic has created. Of course, we've really shone a light on the value of social connection through the pandemic. And it's great to see that issues like loneliness, for instance, is now far more understood than before. But I think one of the biggest worries that I've seen um, in people throughout this period has been around money. And that includes people being worried about their job security. And finally, we see how interconnected the various concerns in people's lives are with their overall health and well-being and their mental health as well. And let's not forget, people have been worried about getting ill as well. We've been worried about getting infected. We've been worried about perhaps infecting our loved ones as well. All of this has created a melting pot that's impacted our mental health negatively. Absolutely. So with that in mind, what do you think are the top three things that employers should be doing right now to help support their employees who are either starting to struggle or who have actually been struggling for a while now? I mean, we could probably speak about this for for days on end, couldn't we? Because it's such a, a complicated, important and interesting topic. I think there are some key things that should be focused on. I think whilst we've just been reflecting on the negative trends that we've seen in the workplace, I think the more positive trends in society broadly around mental health is the the topic has been uh, spoken about more, uh, has been normalised and and the shackles of stigma have been kind of falling away at a faster rate than I think they would have been otherwise. And I think the commitment that we've seen from global organizations to invest in well-being strategies and in the mental health of their people has been inspiring and a really positive step in the right direction. I think in answer to your question, there were three things. The first to me would be, let's think about in relation to mental health. Mental health is something we all have all of the time. It is not just to be addressed in relation to reactive healthcare for people with problems. Prevention is better than cure. We know that across all areas of healthcare. It's why we all brush our teeth twice a day. It's why we exercise. It's the same with mental health. And organizations need to promote prevention with mental health because that's how you will ultimately um, make a long-term impact in in the space and ensure that people are well. The, The second piece is to make sure that 
the strategy you have for your well-being initiatives meets the needs of your organization. No two organizations are exactly alike. And therefore, the kind of jigsaw puzzles that will make up a well-being strategy might look somewhat different according to types of organization. But the important thing, which is the third point for me, is that it, there's a long-term commitment here. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day, uh, and well-being strategies uh, need need commitment and patience and for, for them to be truly meaningful and impactful. I definitely agree that there needs to be a significant focus on prevention in the first place. And if we turn to the workplace, I think that looks like employers giving deeper thought to the issue of work-related stress, depression and anxiety. I think the changes in the workplace, strained relationships, increasing workloads are all examples of what can cause stress in people. So I think it's really important that we make sure that we're aware of the stresses people face and try and prevent it as far as possible, or if we can't, to support people who might be facing stress caused by work. I think the other thing for me is the mantra around communicate, communicate and communicate absolutely make sure that people know the range of benefits and services that are available to them. And that in, can include things like signposting to resources in the public space, such as charities, but also internal support, such as through your manager or human resources. And the third thing for me is to stay close to your people, check in with them on a personal level, understand what's happening in their lives and how it's impacting them. And then be flexible in how you respond to that, trying to accommodate them in the workplace as much as possible. Thanks, Jaws. Some great tips there. Nick, you have an interesting story on what led you to start your business. Would you mind just telling us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So just to build on what I said in my intro, as you can imagine, having worked in the Samaritans or volunteered with the Samaritans, worked at Mind and worked in the NHS and I've seen some incredible clinical practice and worked with some amazing academics and many, many brilliant people seeking care in in the therapy chair, as it were. But fundamentally, I was left frustrated by my experience in the healthcare system. And the frustrations really boil down to two things. The first is that, sadly, today I can still say I've never met anybody at the right time on their journey towards mental ill health. I've, I've only ever sat down in the therapy chair and thought, I wish... I had met this person six months or nine months or 12 or 18 months before where I actually get a chance to meet them. And, and what that speaks to is the fact that when it comes to getting the right care at the right time, it's rarely happening. And that's a big problem because we know the right care at the right time results in the right health outcome. So that was the first frustration. The second frustration was that all of the focus historically in mental health has been on reactive health care. Um, what, what I mean by that is waiting for people to get unwell before providing them a service to help them get better. And it's incredibly important that reactive services are well invested in and they serve a critical role in, in a healthcare system and ensure that people do get better when they are unwell. But the reality is there's a stark contrast in how we approach mental health to physical health and dental health. 
Uh, we literally teach our children from the age of one to take preventative care of their dental health. And even in the height of lockdown in the UK, for example, we were allowed to leave our house for an hour a day to do exercise because we know how important prevention and proactive healthcare is to good health outcomes. It's no different with mental health, but for a myriad of reasons, we, we haven't had the focus on prevention. Prevention is so valuable in mental health as much as it is in other areas of healthcare. But in order for prevention to be uh, engaged with, it's really important that it's positioned appropriately. So what I mean by that is if you look at prevention in dental health, for example, to my knowledge in the world, you cannot buy a dental product sold with a picture of bad teeth on it. Um, if you go into Nike town and buy a pair of running shoes, the person modeling your shoes on the wall is going to be an athlete. So in other words, when, when we sell prevention in dental and physical health, we sell very aspirational, engaging messages. And what that does is it motivates us to take part because we think, well, I, I can be my best self if I make the time to invest in this. So it's a really clever way of positioning and it avoids selling a scary story. You know, nobody's sold a gym membership on the likelihood it produces the chance of cancer. And the reason really for that is that human beings, like every animal, are scared, uh, run away from things that they're scared of. Um, we, we don't engage with things that scare us. And therefore, for a long time, even when there's been efforts to, to sell prevention and mental health, it's often been kind of with a black and white image of someone holding their head in their hands or with like reduce the likelihood of stress, anxiety and depression type messages. And that's a very scary way of positioning the topic. So from a marketing and engagement perspective, we need to sell a more aspirational messaging. But, but from a more profound perspective, mental health is a phenomenal part of being a human being. It's, it's our, maybe the best thing about being a human being, it's our ability to think, be creative, problem solve, feel all the emotions that we feel that make life so worthwhile, building relationships, those type of things, that's our mental health. And far from being stigmatized, it should be nurtured and celebrated. And, and as a generation, we have a responsibility to change the narrative. So, so no one else has to grow up in a world where there's stigma around mental health. So those frustrations really inspired me to leave the NHS to co-found Unmind. Brilliant. Thanks for sharing. That's very inspiring. So it sounds like Unmind are really looking to change the narrative around mental health, which is great. But could you tell us more about why that's important and maybe give us some practical tips for employers on how they can start to really do the same in their businesses? Well, I think I think it's, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot that's been published around the ROI on investing in, in health. Um, but I don't think it takes a genius to think about, well, do I want a workforce that is well and optimized to be well um, uh, for my business? Or do I want a workforce where people are not supported to be well? And I think clearly we can all intuitively say, well, ideally speaking, we have a well workforce. So we should do everything to invest in, in, in our people to ensure that they are given the best opportunity to be the most productive and, and most engaged that they can be and most fulfilled in, the, in their working life. And from an organizational perspective, the outcome of that will be ultimately a better reputation as a business will be a a, a more productive workforce etc so it's um it, i think intuitively we can all understand why it's important at unmind we very strongly believe if you can't measure something you can't manage it so as a workplace mental health platform what was very important to us in empowering employees to proactively manage their mental health was that we were also giving employees the opportunity to check in to understand how they're doing with their mental health and then based on their unique scores they're then signposted to content on the platform that is appropriate to where they sit on their mental health spectrum and we 
created our own assessment called the Ahmed Index, which we collaborated with experts from the likes of University College London and the University of Cambridge in creating. And that gives people very uh, very accurate insight into their mental health. And the great thing about the Unbind Index is it's been benchmarked against the clinical assessment tools used in reactive care, so like the PHQ-9, the GAD-7, etc., meaning that we truly understand how someone's mental health is, and that allows us to signpost them to the right care at the right time, which to my earlier point will result in the right health outcome. And then that data is not only valuable for the individual, when you aggregate and anonymize, and of course the anonymity is key, that data for organizations, they then get data to inform their mental health strategies. And I I think that's going to be one of the big changes that we see over the coming years is that um, data will become much more meaningful in the field of mental health. So we'll no longer be relying on intuition about, yes, it's the right thing to do. We'll instead be saying, well, look, the data clearly demonstrates that this is the right thing to do. So I'd really encourage employers to be thinking about proactive mental health care. And I'd really be encouraging employers to think about the value of mental health data on an aggregated level to help inform wellness strategies moving forwards. Great. And Nick, you mentioned also that all of us have mental health. What exactly does that actually mean? So if I turn the question a little bit and said to you, is there a moment in your life where you don't have dental health? Mm -hmm. Very good point. Yeah, you, know, you you would clearly say, well, of course, I have dental health. I have teeth and, and therefore I, or, or, you know, dental health is a part of my life. And if I said to you, like, is there a moment in your life where you don't have physical health? Um, you would, of course, say, well, of course, I always have physical health, I always have a body. But but I think historically, the importance of making the point in mental health is that um, people have been, as, as societies, we've almost accidentally ended up in a place where when people hear the term mental health, what they actually think of is mental ill health. And I think you see that a lot in mental health training that is, is done in organizations. I think actually a lot of that training could probably be relabeled as mental ill health training. Mental health is not just the problem set. Mental health is something you have all of the time from the moment you're born to the moment you die. Mental ill health is a, um, is a set of clinical problems that are defined by the American Psychiatric Association in DSM-5 manual that when people get to that level of severity require clinical interventions to help people get better. But that is a one in five scenario. Five in five of us have mental health all of the time. So if there's a brain in your head, if your, your heart is beating, you have mental health at any given moment of your life. You know what? I hadn't actually thought about the definition of mental health in that way before. But you just describing it like that makes it really clear and relatable. And we've talked about how mental health can be impacted by so many different things. You know, some of them are within our control, some of them are not. So what would be your top three tips for employers on how they can actually help people maintain a healthy mind or maybe in other words prevent mental health issues from developing in the future i think that it's important to normalize mental ill health as as something that will be in occurrence in a population of people Um, so i don't think we'll ever totally be able to prevent it from happening for everybody all of the time but i think what we can do is we can empower employees to understand their mental health better and educate employees in ways to maintain good mental health and mental well-being, and also help people to understand in their own selves when their mental health is is deteriorating to the point they need support. Now, it's important to understand within what, what, what is a mental illness. A mental illness is symptoms, a number of symptoms together. If you have enough symptoms, you reach the threshold for a diagnosis. So if you look at the American Psychiatric DSM-5 book, you would see in 
general anxiety disorder, a list of symptoms. If you meet a threshold of enough of those symptoms, you could, in theory, be given a diagnosis for that condition. Um, now, what doesn't happen is that you don't go to bed on Monday night with no symptoms of depression and wake up on Tuesday morning with clinical depression. What actually happens is that over time, as you have one symptom, then you, you might increase the likelihood of developing another and then increase the likelihood of developing another. But historically, the way we've structured healthcare systems is we wait for people to have enough symptoms before they reach the threshold to be able to access care. And that's because there are only so many clinicians to provide care to people who are unwell. But the best practice really is early intervention. So as soon as you get one symptom, you can be supporting that person to manage that one symptom. So for example, a common symptom of many mental health problems is poor sleep. Really what we should be doing is supporting employees as soon as their sleep starts to get worse to improve their sleep. And that's early intervention. And, and that's really what proactive care can mean as well. It's not just about studying how to focus better or studying how to communicate more effectively. It's also about making sure that as soon as problems start to occur, you've got support for them at that moment, ensuring the right care at the right time. Charles, would you add anything to that? Yes, I, I mean, I definitely agree with the need for us to focus much more on being proactive, much more on prevention, you know, catch issues early on before they develop into full-blown mental health conditions. And I think from a work perspective, I always try and focus on what's so clearly in our control. And I'd mentioned work-related stress, depression and anxiety and one of the best things an employer can do here is to start with conducting a stress risk assessment. It's a simple survey that helps you to identify any issues that might be impacting people. And if there are particular areas in the business or say certain roles that are struggling the most, this helps you to take a much more proactive approach to tackling the issue in the first place. The other thing I feel uh, has become really prominent throughout COVID-19, which is brilliant is this understanding that we need to be more flexible. The fact that we understand everyone's circumstances are different and sometimes just small changes to the workplace, such as say changing working hours or working location can actually make a big difference. And there are a number of tools out there that helps to guide managers to have impactful conversations with their team members. And, and one such tool, for instance, is Minds Wellbeing Action Plan. But finally, I'd say, you know, let's focus not just on mental health issues, which is exactly what Nick has been you know, sharing with us today, but look at ways that you can help people maintain healthy minds. And there are various ways you can do that. Making tools such as OnMind available certainly is one of them. There is the five ways to well-being, which is an evidence-based model for helping people to maintain healthy minds, mindfulness, practice, meditation, and also for focusing on building personal resilience. Because the reality is we will all face challenges in our lives and we can all be better at responding to those challenges. Brilliant. Thank you. So it sounds like there are lots of tools and different things that employers can do. But I guess one question I do have for both of you really is with messages, emails, apps, etc. that employees have access to, what are the ways that employers can actually increase their employees' engagement with those tools that would support their mental health? So I would say focus on the why rather than the what. So basically give context to anything that you offer to your employees. Explain the benefits to them. So for instance, rather than promoting a new mental health app, Explain why you've invested in this tool, how the main features help people maintain a healthy mind, 
and what benefits they will see from regularly using it. That's super. I, I totally agree with with what Charles has said, and and I think um, I, I think there is real value as well in in making sure that things are connected, making sure that things are embedded well in meetings where you get people together. There's always an opportunity to mention what's available. Um, in, in managers can always promote what's available to their employees in their one-to-one sessions. Senior leaders can speak openly about the value that they are getting out of the, the programs that have been launched within their organization. And then I think linking the different pieces of the wellness strategy together so that, for example, at Unmind, we signpost from Unmind to other services available within an organization making sure that you're not accidentally creating desert islands of services available because that can be quite confusing for employees to navigate. I think that's really valuable. And then also, I think there's there's often themes that are around in society. It might be International Stress Awareness Week or uh, Mental Health Awareness Week or whatever it might be. Every given week, there, there is something going on that is relevant to health and well-being um, and gives an opportunity to run communication campaigns within an organization, um, raising awareness of that topic and also linking again to services that are available. Fantastic. Thank you. And that brings us to our last question today. Fast forward to five years from now, what would a great mental health landscape look like for employees? Charles, I wonder if you can answer that question first. I I think that's a Brilliant question, uh, Olga. And as so many thoughts around kind of what the vision is for a healthy uh, and mentally well workplace of, of the future. I think a few things to point out that's on my mind. I think the first is one where we offer much more flexibility around people's individual needs. So that's recognizing how we are all different, how we're all unique. I think the other is where people feel psychologically safe, where we can bring our true selves to the workplace and where we can speak out without any fears of what the consequences might be. I think one where mental health and well-being is not stigmatized, where we all have high levels of mental health literacy and can therefore support one another and also reach out really early if we need help. One where we start to focus much more on prevention on talking around a narrative of resilience and healthy minds, rather than just focusing on illness. And finally, I'd say one where all employees have equal access to benefits, not just the senior people. So equal access to benefits, services, and a broad range of support, no matter what the current state of healthy employee might be in. Brilliant, thank you, Charles. How about you, Nick? Uh, Charles is just, uh answer that so brilliantly it's hard hard to add to it I, I totally agree with everything he said um I, I think for me clearly like prevention is the way forward and I think really making sure that we continue the brilliant work that's going on around the world in prioritizing prevention really focusing on how can we reduce stigma how can we normalize the topic I love the and all of the people that have spoken publicly about their journey with mental illness and it's had such a profound impact in in i think helping shift the, the conversation normalizing the topic i now love the idea that the next generation of leaders are just talking about mental health on a day-to-day basis rather than it always it doesn't necessarily be need to be about the problems they have you can say well you know i've, I've taken half the day off today because it's really good for my mental health to spend time with my family, you know, to really embed the topic of mental health as part of our daily life in the same way that we are 
generally quite good at doing that with sleep. People are quite happy talking about how, how well they're sleeping or otherwise. And I think that data has such an important role to play here, really helping to inform strategies and, and to inform business decisions and also to ensure that organizations are really well informed in, a, in, in real time about how their people are, allowing them to make the right adjustments to the working environment. That's brilliant. Fantastic. This has been a very, very insightful and informative conversation. Thank you both for your time and for sharing your knowledge with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's conversation, look out for more HR Talks episodes from Aon. If you have any questions or would like to find out more, please email us at letstalkbenefits at aon.co.uk or head to our website aon.co.uk forward slash employee benefits.